From the pages of the Blizzard, the Football Quarterly, we bring you the Blizzard Podcast, a weekly look back through the Blizzard archives, where we bring you some of our favourite articles to have appeared in the magazine since we began back in 2011. Before we get underway this week, just a quick note to let you know that the final batch of tickets for our Dublin event have gone on sale. On Monday the 24th of April, a panel featuring Jonathan Wilson, Filippo Clare and Ian McIntosh, hosted by Owen McDevitt from Second Captains, will be taking your questions in our typical interactive Q&A style. For more information on the event, and to make sure you snap up the tickets before they sell out, head to theblizzard.co.uk slash events. And now, on with episode 75, which this week looks back at Orban Planning by Dan Nolan, first published in issue 14 in September 2014. Secretaries and bank clerks trot down the Budapest side street, their commute brightened up by a gigantic mural that uses 1950s posters, photographs and football programmes to depict the match of the century. The goalkeeper, Gula Groxish, leaps heroically. Billy Wright looks on haplessly. Ferenc Pushkas celebrates, and then comes the bold claim of the centurial supremacy and that scoreline. Hungary 6, England 3. Brash, nostalgic and nationalistic, the giant artwork has a lot in common with Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban, a football-crazy politician on a mission to revive Hungarian football. The 1,000-metre-square mural used 400 litres of paint and took three weeks to complete. The problem is that in the time it took Barnabas Jankovic and friends to transform this side street in the Jewish district, Hungarian football imploded. Time to mark the 60th anniversary of Hungary's watershed Wembley win, the unveiling ceremony in fact came days after the country's biggest ever defeat. Hungary's 8-1 thrashing away to the Netherlands not only put paid to dreams of Brazil 2014, but it also sparked fierce criticism of Orbán's habit of using taxpayers' money to build stadiums. Orbán disappeared for a few days, later emerging to complain of ongoing brain damage from the trauma. Even the fiercest government loyalists expressed anger that Orbán was chasing a dream of recreating the Pushkas era while a third of Hungary's 10 million people are living below the poverty line. Others argue that if Hungary has to spend big on sport, then it shouldn't waste 60% of that budget on a failing football team when it excels at other sports, having won eight gold medals at the London Olympics and finished ninth in the medals table. The enduring popularity of football has ensured its close relationship with business and politics on both sides of Europe. Hungary's greatest sporting icon, Ferenc Pushkas, understood very well the relationship between football, money and politics, once explaining a first-half torpor to his manager with the immortal phrase, small money, small footy, big money, big footy. With this, the most prolific international striker of the 20th century secured a pay rise, and then turned a 2-0 deficit into a 4-2 victory. The emigre Pushkash was welcomed back to Hungary in 1981, a full year before the IMF got an invite, noted Tamás Krausch, a professor of history at Budapest's Elta University. Although the nationalist Orbán government claims Pushkash as a true Hungarian, just as the previous regime painted him a socialist hero, the mighty Magyars were partly a British invention. After the Wembley game, the president of the Hungarian Football Federation, MLSZ, 
paid tribute to the English coach Jimmy Hogan, who had worked in Hungary in the 1920s, saying the Lancastrian had taught the Hungarians, quote, everything we know about football. Gustav Shebes, the manager of the Aranik Sapat, the Golden Squad, echoed the sentiment. Marton Bukovi and J. Yeno Saknadi were being slightly unfair when they named their 1954 football manual Learn to Play the Hungarian Way. Only a month before the 8-1 defeat in Amsterdam, the government had announced its plan to host European Championship Games in 2020. Convening in Parliament's stunning delegation room, football was represented by the UEFA president, Michel Platini, money by Sandor Kassanyi, the president of the MLSZ and Hungary's richest man, and politics by Orbán. The Prime Minister was typically bullish, saying, Without national honour and national pride, football has no meaning before adding to the locker-room atmosphere by running off with the ball at the end of the press conference. News of the grand seven-year plan was all over the state media for days. As in the communist era, irreverent political jokes abounded. What's the difference between Orban and Platini? One's an autocratic, ageing, overweight midfielder, and the other one was European Footballer of the Year in 1984. In truth, Orbán's political destiny has been linked to football from the start. Some of the most powerful members of his government, including the President and Leader of the House, played in the same five-a-side team as the Prime Minister in the late 1980s. Since then, the nation's interest in football has plummeted, not least because Hungary has not made it to the finals of a major tournament since 1986. A government can massage economic data or blame unemployment statistics on its predecessors, but an 8-1 defeat offers spin doctors less room for manoeuvre. After the game, Sandor Egevari resigned as national coach, and Kassanyi said Hungary would focus on youth, quote, to break out of the current stagnant and insular coaching system, and consult with federations in the Netherlands, Belgium and Spain. The next manager of the Hungarian national football team would probably be a foreigner, he added, setting a target of qualification for the 2016 European Championship. Relations between the government and the MLSZ finally reached an adir in the aftermath of the Netherlands' defeat. When a government spokesman criticised Kassanyi's performance, the oligarch replied that he, quote, should shut up about football, as he had plenty of opportunity to lie in his current role. The state official taunted Kassanyi, saying he had, quote, written his name in the annals of Hungarian football, as the 8-1 defeat will be remembered 50 years from now. Not to be commemorated with a giant mural in downtown Budapest, though, presumably. Hungary's political elite are set on building new stadiums regardless. There is widespread dismay that the city of Debrecen, population 210,000, will get a 30,000-seater stadium. The town mayor, yes, also an occasional member of that five-a-side team, said it was disgraceful that Debrecen have had to play their Champions League games 140 miles away in Budapest. But opponents note that the former railway workers' team has played three home Champions League games in its 111-year history, including a 4-3 defeat to Fiorentina that later turned out to have been fixed. The team's European foray featured the worst-ever defensive performance in a Champions League group stage, and there is little prospect of a rerun any time soon. Nevertheless, the government decided that Ferencváros 
would get a 22,500-seater facility, while a 65,000-seater national stadium will be completed by 2016. The head of sport for Fidesz, the governing party, admitted this is a drain on the budget, but expressed hope that the money, quote, will be recouped in four or five years. The MLSZ said it wants to increase average domestic attendances from a meagre 3,000 to 10,000 by 2018, blaming the decades-long slump in attendances on poor facilities. However, with the nation's coffers emptier than its terraces, opposition MPs launched a campaign to stop the profligate building of stadiums. The country agreed too, with over 90% of those asked by the pollsters Taki saying the money should be allocated elsewhere. But when the 2014 budget was announced, stadium spending was actually increased. Orban has always had twin obsessions, politics and football, and with his huge majority suggesting the former is sewn up for now, there is only one world left to conquer. Orban set up the Ferenc Pushkas Football Academy next to his weekend house in Felksut, his childhood village, in 2007. It was initially a modest affair, but since his 2010 return to power, the money has flooded in, thanks to his introduction of tax breaks that allow corporations to donate to football stadiums. The key donor is Hungary's biggest bank and football league sponsor, OTP, of which Kasanyi is CEO. Although essentially now a feeder club to Orban's favourite team, Videoten, in nearby Szekesverhervar, the academy team managed promotion to the top flight last season. As the 18-year-old Balthazar Buki, a former trainee at the academy, put it, Videoten and Felksut are two different teams, but one club. The academy trainees, who live on site, are growing up together, forming bonds like the one the next-door neighbours Pushkas and Sandor Coxis formed with their fancier kickabout secret knock in Kishpest, before graduating to the Honved and national teams together. Of the Aranik Sapat, Buki said, They tried to set them as an example for us. The dormitory is full of Pushkash photos. Gula Groxis would come over a lot. The goalkeeper, who died in June, was, like Orban, an anti-communist turned nationalist, and was even put under house arrest for expressing dissenting views against the nascent communist regime. Orban comes over to watch matches, sometimes training sessions or to play a little, Buki said, before adding the familiar refrain, I don't want to get into politics. He also declined to comment, quote, for reasons of loyalty, on why he left the academy. However, it is getting difficult for anyone to ignore the stadium project next door, which has become a national symbol of the Prime Minister's hubris. It is literally in his, Orbán's, backyard, Tamás Budoki of the Hungarian Wikileaks website at Lazo.hu said of the arena, which seats 3,500, double the village's population. The stadium opened on Easter Monday, two weeks after his general election victory. It was designed in the nationalist style of the late Imre Makovec, a personal friend of Orban's. In its early stages, the locals referred to it as Sauron's Castle, but in its finished form, with its wooden pillars, it rather resembles a church. Other signs of hubris were in evidence when Orban's boyhood team Videoten hosted a Fexut match against Pushkash's former team, Kishpesht. The club stewards were instructed to order Kishpesht fans to take down the banner bearing Ferenc Pushkas's name, despite the banner and player being club institutions. The political analyst and football fan Zoltan Samogi explained that, quote, 
the very young club, Felksut, is claiming Pushkas's name. Also, they have the heritage of Pushkas at their academy. The fans took the banner down, but they were outraged. A Facebook group named Pushkas Belongs to Kishpest, Not Felksut soon appeared. In the days before Hungary's April election, Orban even evoked the famous Pushkas witticism on the election campaign trail, telling voters that if his ruling Fidesz party were to win big, a big future would follow. The world's press descended on Felksut, calling it a microcosm of Hungarian society under Orban. The New York Times noted that the stadium is 20 metres from Orban's house. Other media outlets observed that the only regional precedent for this was Romanian dictator Nicolae Ceausescu's construction of a stadium in his home village of Alt, in his case, a 30,000-seater. Once host to a decent side and such young lonies as Dan Procescu and Ili Dumitrescu, it is now a decaying white elephant of a stadium used by a fourth division team. Orban's project recalls the glory days of the magical Magyars in several respects. Hungary pioneered the concept of building the spine of the national team around a single club side with Honved, and at times, observing Orban with his siege mentality, demands for unquestioning loyalty and zero-sum game approach to politics, one is left wondering whether out there somewhere a football team is missing a manager and a country a prime minister. Viktor Orban's political life has been entwined with football from the start. The holders of Hungary's three highest public offices once played in the same student five-a-side team, Orban himself, President Janos Arda, and House Speaker Lajlo Kova. Chris Condon, who played against Foyi Kassor, the beer is flowing, in the 1990s before becoming the Financial Times correspondent in Budapest, said the Fidesz side was a legacy of the team that started when they were law students. It was a fairly competitive league, mostly late 20-something guys with good skills, but past their prime for the full pitch. The Fidesz side was a bit older than most, but was a decent team. In the 1998-2002 period when Fidesz was in government and Victor was PM, he never showed up. But while Orban was attacking political rivals, the rabble-rousing nationalistic party strongman Kova was, on the pitch at least, quote, a mild-mannered defender, always staying back to protect his goal. He was also quiet and even-tempered, even a peacemaker when tempers flared. Another one-time opponent said that, after Kova became Minister of Secret Services, his bodyguards were always standing by the touchline. Once Kova was involved in a tussle, and the state security officials ran onto the pitch to intervene. After that, he made them wait outside the sports centre. The future head of state, Arda, with his milk-toast public persona, was the opposite of Kova, on and off the field, however. Quote, on the pitch, he was an attacker, always up front and looking for goals and creating a lot of contact going for free balls. I recall him getting into a shoving match with one of our guys, a very level-headed guy normally. Arda was the instigator, and the whole thing almost came to blows until other players from both sides, including Kova, broke it up, said Condon. In other words, on the pitch, Arda was a hothead, and Kova a gentleman. Orban's competitive streak has never been far from the surface. A former opponent, speaking on condition of anonymity, recalled him disputing a throwing decision, quote, by throwing the ball with full force into our defender Zolti's face by way of retribution. I come from Budapest's 8th district, 
but I had never seen anything like that in my whole life. Another team member recalled the incident. When one of our team told him to stop, Orban's answer was, be happy that I didn't smash his face in. Orban, now 50, has faced repeated accusations of moving Hungary's electoral goalposts. In an interview two weeks before the election in April, his wife, Aniko Levi, told Story magazine that she once won a skiing competition, but by the time the award was presented, her husband had made the organisers change the rules so that men and women were in different categories, so technically she hadn't beaten him. The final thought goes to the former captain of Fidesz's rival five-a-side team, who said, Thank God I do not remember too much about them, except that they usually smelt of alcohol. But then again, so did everyone else. That was Orban Planning by Dan Nolan, first published in issue 14 in September 2014. Also in issue 14, Elko Born on Johan Cruyff, Ajax and the struggle for the soul of Dutch football. Luke Alfred explains while most fans were focused on the 1974 World Cup, George Best was playing in South Africa. Richard Jolly on the strange Manchester United career of the Portuguese striker Bebe. And our greatest games feature looks back at Russia 1-Ukraine 1 in the Euro 2000 qualifier at the Luzhniki Stadium in October 1999. Issue 14, like all issues of The Blizzard, is available on a pay-what-you-like basis at theblizzard.co.uk. That means that digital editions can be yours for as little as a penny apiece, while our print editions start at just £6 plus postage and packing. Subscription options are available, and you can also find us on the Kindle and Google Play stores. If you have any comments, feedback or suggestions about these podcasts, you can email us, podcast at theblizzard.co.uk, or find us on Twitter at blizzard, B-L-Z-Z-R-D.